Hello folks and welcome back to the High Performance Human Podcast. I'm your host Simon Ward and each week I'm joined by guests to share knowledge and wisdom to help you on your journey to living longer, living healthier and of course improving your triathlon performance. This week Steve Lumley and Mark Lathwaite are back as the grumpy old coaches get together for a Christmas special. Mark has a bit of a rant about having to literally mind the shop while Steve and I have a few drinks to oil the wheels. As usual, we have a right laugh chatting about a variety of topics and we hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Merry Christmas. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back. It's the end of 2021. It's the Christmas edition of the Grumpy Old Coaches. And once again, I am joined by my two faithful friends, Steve Lumley and Mark Lathwaite. So welcome back, fellas. Hello. Thank you very much. How are you doing? It's been another strange year, hasn't it? I mean, last year we talked about, let's hope it's all better next year. And it, it got a little bit better, but now it looks like we're sort of sinking back into it again. Yeah, it's definitely uh, d- definitely been weird. Looks like it's not, it's lingering on. What, what was it that baseball coach from America said, Steve? It's like deja vu all over again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you, Mark? Um, you're in the... Uh, running industry you promote events you sell sports apparel running equipment and stuff for hardened athletes so how's it been for you this year well i mean in in the big lockdown so i suppose we're going back 12 months aren't we? in the main lockdown it was a real problem but it's been okay this year you know it's been a bit packed i think that's what people have seen as well is it because a lot of events were postponed mm. they had to take place at some point and then they all got shoved to the back half of the year. So suddenly there was like 10 races every weekend. Yeah. And I think yeah. you know, that, that's obviously going to have an impact on, on entries coming in, you know. And so, uh, so yeah, but, but I mean, it, it could have been a lot worse. You know, it's got back to normal. I'm just hoping that there's going to be no more nonsense this coming year and we can, you know, just crack on really. Yeah. So for- one, of athletes, one of my athletes sent me a list of his races for next year and he's got 21 lined up because they're all rolled <laughs> out. <laughs> right so for the, for those listeners who don't know steve's a triathlon coach and mark do you do you actually do any triathlon coaching specifically now are you most more concerned with uh, promoting events and running your shop coach we have a coaching group so we still we still do triathlon coaching and got the endurance store the running shop and and uh through the events we organize events or epic events as well all around the northwest okay so at the end of the show, I'm going to give you guys a couple of minutes to just tell everybody more specifically about what you do. And then we will put some links in the show notes. So if you want to contact Steve and he'll tell you where he's based and Mark will tell you where he's based. If you want to contact either of them, please do go and have a look at the show notes and all the links will be on there and you can go to the website and arrange a phone call and something. But anyway, we've uh, Mark's still at work today. While Steve and I, if you, if you do go to the video, Steve and I are here drinking. So Steve's on rosé today. He's a cultured man, is Steve. And I am drinking a nice glass of Palacio del Conde um, Grand Reserva. So uh, cheers to both of you. Happy Christmas. And uh, let's get rolling. So let, let's start off with the serious stuff. We, we went out to the Facebook pages and asked them for some suggestions. And the first one that came back was triathlon and climate change. So this is quite topical given the recent COP26 summit in Glasgow. How can the sport address this? So, um, Steve, uh, what do you think? Triathlon and climate change. Uh, I sprung that one on a side. I mean, the obvious yeah. one is fly less, you know, do less overseas races. I do know people that are doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're racing in Europe, consider driving. Um, and at the moment, it's a lot more convenient as well, probably, to drive. I mean, obviously, that's still got a carbon footprint. I mean, and then the basic is buy less shit, which we <laughs> might come on to later. Well, okay, yeah. You know. Well, what about you, Mark? Because you run a shop. How much of the stuff that you've got comes from China and has to be shipped into the country? Well, I mean, it, it depends on where the brands have it manufactured, doesn't it? You know, so if you if we have Brooks running shoes or Hoka running shoes, then most of those have a depot in the UK, but it's where that company is having it produced, I guess, which is the major, you know, mm-hmm. the major problem. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, as, as Steve says, I suppose it's, you know, it's it's buying less stuff but uh i think just in triathlon in general they're definitely racing in the uk and racing less abroad and i think people have kind of drifted back a little bit to that i think with the lockdown mm-hmm. 
you know, there's been an impact on the aviation industry and an impact on any industry and people who've got jobs in that industry is, is never great. But, um, but I think, you know, and, and also why not, you know, race local? That's the other thing as well, isn't it? You know, mm. is, uh, is look at what local events are to you and, 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 and less travel around there. So, uh, and the other thing I would say as well is, is uh, train a bit harder. So when you're racing, you're not breathing as hard and not releasing as much carbon dioxide. <laughs> I like that. I mean, I do. I do think you know when when they had that COP twenty six climate on, there was all this stuff about what the big headline stuff like countries cutting down on coal production. You know, there was nothing really on what the consumers can do. And I and I think well, if we all started at home, not, not triathlon related stuff, but if we all started at home and thought right, well, if we're not in a room, turn the light off. Maybe we'd leave the heating so it doesn't come on for half an hour. It comes on a half an hour later. Maybe maybe you don't have the thermostats high. Maybe we maybe we're wearing it like my grandma used to say: if you're cold, put a jumper on. You know, you don't run around the house in a pair of shorts saying you're cold. Put some clothes on. Um, maybe if we got out of our desks and chairs a little bit and moved around, that would keep us warm, so we wouldn't need to have the heating on. Maybe if you go into the local shop and it's five minutes drive away, you could probably walk there. Um, I mean, for me now, where my nearest store, with all the traffic and the roadworks, it's, it's actually easier and quicker for me to walk there. So we could probably all start very close to home. And if we made a few little savings, when you add that that up amongst 60 million people, that would be quite significant. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's fairly obvious also that there's a fair chunk of your listeners that are already cycling as a commute, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah probably doing quite a lot already mm-hmm. yeah 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 I, I always find it ironic that motorists say that cyclists hold them up but actually if all them if all the cyclists that were on the road were actually in cars they'd get held up even more wouldn't they but anyway, that's that's another discussion. Maybe maybe we should have had one of those on. Um, what about? So there was another question following on from that about addressing things, and that was what can we do in triathlon to address diversity? Because triathlon is predominantly a white middle class sport, isn't it? And I, I think we might have touched on this before, but I, I know I think we we as three coaches involved in the sport probably think more should be done. But that's fine. What are the solutions or the the ideas we could try? <laughs> I've got a good answer for that go on, go on then Mark you start and it involves a plug as well so I'm going to have to get put a plug in here mm-hmm. yeah go on uh, so I think I might have mentioned this in the past but as um, when when I founded Epic Events the events company I founded a charity alongside it it's a registered charity called Epic Kids yep and donated to various local causes wanted to give something back so off the back of that Last year, we set up a project. We set up a project just before lockdown kicked in called Tri Kids. And what we wanted to do is fund triathlon coaching in local primary schools. Mm. Bear with me, say I'm going somewhere. And uh, I, I, I basically got somebody, we funded it through the business, through our charity. Some local triathlon coaches got involved. Uh, we bought a fleet of bikes and a van to transport them. And they started going into primary schools around the Northwest. So, um, the first day we were due to start was the first day that lockdown happened. So we had to scrap it until after lockdown. And then since then, so in the 12-month period, including lockdown, those guys are now booked up five days a week going around to schools. And uh, we've delivered to 16,000 children. Wow. So um, what's interesting, of course, from that is the diversity of children that you see. Mm-hmm. This is, of course, one of the parts. Triathlon is not a core sport that you would have in schools. It's just, it's, and it's never going to be because of the need for the swimming pool, because of the need to have bikes, etc. But it is, you know, so eye-opening going around all of those schools that where, where I live, you know, you go around some of the rural schools, a lot of the parents are runners, trail runners and triathletes and stuff. The kids can all ride bikes. And we, we do years one to six in primary school. And then we'll go into other schools, inner city schools, um, and uh, in those schools, the kids can be in year six and have still never sat on a bike. Um, so there is an economic thing there. There also is a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. So we will notice with people from different um, uh, from different backgrounds, so uh, cultural backgrounds and so on, but how, again, you know, they, they're uh, never ridden bikes or never sat on a bike before. So it, it, it's, very, it's very clear when you go and deliver to the primary schools uh, where the issues are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's cultural, it's economic, and, and that's the, the two things that we see. 
So, you know, that's what I see. I haven't got a solution for it. But where the kids, all the kids that we deliver, what I would say is all the kids that we deliver to absolutely love it. They absolutely love it. But it's cultural and it's economic. And it's those two key things that when we leave that school, the reality is we know those kids are not going to take up the sport of triathlon. And it's as mm. simple as that. Mm. So we haven't got to the plan for getting all of those kids into triathlon and solving the issue. That's next year we're going to do that. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, at the moment we're working on it. Um, but I also think clubs have an issue as well at the moment. And, and I, this isn't a criticism of clubs by any means because all the volunteers in clubs are doing an amazing job. But just because clubs require volunteers, um, they it, it's always going to be hard. So the clubs local to us, most of the junior clubs are full up. You know, they just can't take any more members. And mm. that is a sign of how good they are, you know, that they've got so many kids going because they are so well run and so well organised. But once all the junior clubs are full up and you've got waiting lists, for us delivering in primary schools, it's great. But then where is the next step for us? So we to say to those children, you should go here to take up the sport to triathlon. If you go here, they, they'll have bikes that you can use. And, you, the, you know, that next level isn't available. You know, and I said that's not a criticism because it's just pure and simple. It requires it would require thousands of volunteers to do it and a lot of resources. We we've had discussions amongst coaches in Leeds about how you deliver this across different cultures, across different socioeconomic backgrounds, and um, same things. You know, the, the the various junior clubs that are around are full, and what limits their ability to grow is the access to pool time. Um, but but also I suppose if you live in a um, if if you live in a, a socially challenged uh, economic environment maybe maybe it's three or four miles by bus and two changes of bus to get to the swimming pool and so that would take you an hour and in the winter that's not particularly uh, you know appealing is it to go there for an hour if you're if you're a parent you've got to take a twelve year old you don't want them to go on the bus on their own that's an hour if if you if you're working one job or two jobs that makes it more challenges doesn't it and uh, I, I can I, I can obviously see the challenges. I don't I don't know whether it it means that you have to take the swimming bit out of it and get kids to be you know just just riding bikes and running and not call it triathlon and call it duathlon and something else, but still getting them active. But take the swimming part out in order to attract different um, different groups. Yeah, I mean British triathlon did kind of hint that they were going to focus a bit more on bike run events. And it's the obvious one to do to get novices into the sport, mm. you know, because, because swimming requires a certain amount of technical ability to do it and it requires a swimming pool to do it. And, uh, and they were hinting at that. But, but um, yeah, so it's a tricky one. Can I just add a, a plug for it as well? And, and it's not a plug because TriKids is free to any school in the Northwest. Right. If people are listening to the podcast, if you're a teacher or you've got children who are in a primary school, and you, you would like this to, us to come to your primary school, you'd have to speak to the teachers to get the teachers to contact us. You can find it on Facebook, and it's called, all one word, it's Try Kids, and Kids is spelt with a Z. So T-R-I-K-I-D-Z. Have a look for Try Kids on Facebook, and if you email info at trykids.co.uk, we will come to any school for free. And they're booked up quite well now into the spring term, five days a week. But we'll make a booking in there, and they'll come into the Ironman Challenge at your school. Well, what what we'll do, Mark, is we'll we we won't just let people go to the Facebook page. We'll we'll put a link to it in the show notes below, so it just just require a click. And you know, um, as I said, we'll put a link to you there as well. So if anybody wants to pick your brains about doing something within the school or the community, then I'm sure you'll be able to offer the same yeah. guidance you do to everybody else. Steve, what about you? You've been around in coaching as 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 long as I can remember. So you've you've been in the sport for thirty years. The diversity hasn't really changed a lot in that time, has it? Um. It's, I would say it's improved. In, you know, if you look at female participation in mm-hmm. this country, I think that's noticeably improved. I think we're still way beyond places like Australia, New Zealand, um, America in, in terms of that. Um, you know, it's, it's a difficult, I mean, difficult one, isn't it? At policy level, British Strathon have just, you know, they're just trying to get off the ground, aren't they? Um, I can't remember what they've, what they've labelled it, but it's, um, you know, a, a, a programme to improve the ethnic minority participation mm-hmm. um and looking at some of the comments that have, it's thrown up um you know not you know they need it as well um 
<laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think from a, a coach's point of view, I, I, I agree with Mark that it, it, getting in schools, getting them early is important. Um, schools and perhaps athletic and swimming clubs are the ones to look at. I don't necessarily, I mean, triathlon itself is is a relatively late maturation sport. So I don't necessarily think that there's a big need or it's the best, possibly the best way of doing it is is to really focus on triathlon at a very early age. I mean, school age maybe. But if you get kids involved in, in running, swimming, perhaps cycling individually, I think you you know you you're making good progress towards getting them in triathlon. Um, mm-hmm. My approach is, or my thoughts are that you know sort of think globally, act locally, sort of thing. Is that you do you do what you can in your own coaching to promote diversity. Um, you know your own your own deeds and actions and those of you that those people that you're coaching so it's you know a tolerant tolerance for inclusivity and 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 that kind of thing really yeah and i mean we're talking about um involving uh people from different different cultures and ethnicities here but we we shouldn't forget paratriathlon as well because that's uh, another area of diversity which has been pretty successful at the highest level for british triathlon but um and we've we've seen more uh para athletes coming to join local triathlon clubs but i still think we could be doing a lot more to try and attract people like that and you know like like your tri kids initiative mark i wonder if there's another way in which we could do that for um for para athletes or people who don't yet know that they're going to be para athletes yeah i mean in, you tend to find that you know a lot of kids who who do have disabilities so are in mainstream schools as well mm-hmm. you know so the, the school where my daughters go to the primary school down the road we delivered there, and there's a girl there who's got cerebral palsy. And she, and the next day, uh, the head messaged me and said, "Oh, can you do me a favour? Uh, this girl's gone home to her mum and told her mum that she wants to be a triathlete. Which local club can she join?" Right. So we pointed in the direction, you know. So, so you get stories like that. So there's always a lot of kids who have disabilities in mainstream schools, and and we obviously incorporate those into the into the session as well, so they're not left out. So, so yeah, we do definitely get get, get success stories like that. Right, Mark, you and I think we might have talked about this last year. So in which case, if I offered a challenge at them, we failed miserably. I know I have, but you've you've set a very good example with your try kids. I think that I might commit publicly on this show now to try and do something myself, uh, like create some sort of initiative, whether it's whether I'm just trying to get others involved or whether I do it myself and drag people along with me. And if we report back for our Christmas podcast next year, hopefully I've made some progress. Steve? Uh, you Steve, this don't you the... sit there laughing, mate, because I'm going to ask you if you'll commit as well. This is the, what do you do for charity all over again, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that one, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, uh, yes, that, well, let's put our heads together, Simon. We, we, well, look, people, people look up to us. We've been in the sport. We're like the grandfathers <laughs> of this sport now. Mark's not quite there yet, but he will be. Um, but he's leading by example, and and we ought, we ought to step up to his uh, to, and, and match his example, I think. Yeah, okay. I'll be, I'll be up for that. Let's let's have a let's have a discussion, and maybe on the next time we do this, we can yeah, put some ideas, or we can ask ask for ideas. Well, I was just going to say, listeners, if you are sitting there nodding your head and thinking that's a great idea, Simon and Steve, try and see what you yeah. can do to match Mark. Then we yeah. will challenge you to help us with that by at least coming up with some ideas, or even putting your hand up to help us. Yeah, putting some wedge in. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right anyway it, um so we've got the serious stuff out of the way uh oh, let's, okay. let's start let's start let's start making the show descend towards uh christmas sludge now um need another drink steve uh, somebody asked me about constant glucose monitors Is that, have either of you tried them no right no Mark. no right i tried one I, I put I money it, on Mark not trying it. Yeah, I I, uh, I got I didn't get the Super Sapiens thing or Levels Health. I I went to Dexcom and got one of the ones that they use with diabetics, uh, pr- primarily because that was the one that Dan Plews and Paul Larson had recommended, which they'd tried. What did I learn from it? Well, firstly, it costs about 150 quid a month to get a subscription, um, which is similar to what you'd pay with Super Sapiens and the others. 
Um, I put it on the back of my arm the first time. You can also wear it just on the sort of front of your abdomen there. You can also wear it on the on your back, but those those are the two those are the two places where it seems to be less intrusive. Um, my blood sugar was pretty stable for the whole of the 30 days. So you, you get about 10 days worth of use out of each patch. Um, it links up to an app you have on your phone. Um, you can set it to ping if your blood sugar goes too high or too low be, be, below what sort of like considered to be normal healthy limits. Um, and it's, and it's you know, like triathletes always like, to, yeah, I'm really high. That's good, eh? And, or I'm, re- I'm low as it can be. You, you want to be within a range. So I was in the range most of that time, which probably indicated that my eating was fine and I got quite a good control of my blood sugar. So I didn't really learn anything. I did learn that if you eat four spoonfuls, four large spoonfuls of strawberry jam, um, your blood sugar will go up, but that's pure sugar pretty much. So that's what you'd expect. Yeah, and yeah. I'll be slight. Are you, you know, going to say, are you telling me you didn't know that before you had it? Well, yeah, but it's, <laughs> you're a, you're a science, you're both scientists. So it's always nice to see the data, which correlates to intuitive feel, isn't it? Well, it's not intuitive feel. It's not, it's a fact. Okay. But, but still it's, it's only, what, that fact. It's only yeah. what you think is happening. Having that confirmed by data, um, I no, think it's not what you think is happening. If you had four tables of, of four spoonfuls of sugar, effectively, you're going to have a spike. Yep, that that's fact. Right. The fact that you can look at a watch or a gizmo, that that's just confirming that fact. No, I, I take your point there. But what I'm saying is that knowing the fact that my blood sugar for the majority of time with the food that I eat and the nutrition that I have is is pretty much stable all the time. You know, it doesn't drop. If I fast in the morning, it's not too low. If I have a, a more carbohydrate meal, it, it doesn't go too high. It means it's under control. I would have thought that that was the case because I don't tend to feel like I get big um, uh, spikes and, and troughs in my in my blood sugar and in my moods. However, having that confirmed in the data is nice. But what, what my overriding um, learning from all of that is you probably need a month at max to learn anything you want to learn and to learn what foods cause your blood to spike. And then you don't, I don't, I, I wouldn't be suggesting that anybody needs a full year long subscription or a lifetime subscription to it. Any thoughts? Yeah. I know you, I know, I know particularly you, Mark, you're, uh, you, you um, have some fairly trenchant views about technology and things that are trying to entice triathletes because they know they spend money. Well, I mean, there's a couple of things I'd say here. First of all is I told you, uh, not to tell him to have a uh, to, he's been drinking quite clearly. I can see that's why he's argumentative with you. And I, I warned you, I said, <laughs> this is what happened. I said, if you let Steve have a drink, this is what's going to happen, right? <laughs> You'll get leery. <laughs> the other thing I would say is on, on the blood sugar monitors, right? So if you're diabetic, mm. you can see how that is a massive, massive plus to your life to buy that device. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and where people people used to be like injecting themselves all the time and testing themselves all the time, taking fingerprint samples and all that stuff regularly, you can see now how having a constant monitor on an app on your phone is a massive improvement mm. on what diabetics had before. So I get it. And I can understand how they're trying to shoehorn that now into sport. But, well, as you've said, after a month, well, as, Steve's, as both you and Steve have said two separate things here. One, like Steve was saying, you probably know what the answer is already. Mm-hmm. So all you're doing is confirming what you know is going to happen. Yep. And as you said, you probably only need to use it for a month and it confirms what you maybe already knew. Mm. My problem is it, with it is the same as a lot of these things. It's the diversion. So endurance athletes get faster by training, by doing the right amount of training, the right amount of volume, the right amount of intensity and doing it regularly and consistently. Mm-hmm. And, and there's lots of diversions for endurance athletes. So they get they, they get drawn to, oh, I can buy that thing that I can measure my blood sugar and I can buy that and this app and it'll measure this and measure that. And they, they get drawn by those things and forget to do the basics. So it's going back to that kind of marginal gains thing, isn't it? And not focusing on the maximal gains. And I just think it's a distraction away from, no, go to the pool two to three times a week, get your bike two to three times a week. Do the basics. That's what you need to do. Stop focusing your attention on that. You know, for the 30 minutes, 40 minutes, you've sat there reading the book how to work it. You could have done some strength work or some mobility work or you could have gone for a run. Mm. And I think that's what bothers me, the kind of the fluff, the cloudy stuff that's always a diversion for people. Yeah. 
I've just sent you an. No, I, 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 I would agree with that. I think if you've got an issue, if you are diabetic or, or, have, or have nutrition issues, then, you know, definitely it's, mm. it's worth looking at. Otherwise, it's a distraction. Yeah. You know, slightly more worthwhile than a running power meter. <laughs> in that. It, it does measure what it, it says it measures. <laughs> Well, that no, we didn't have running power meters on today's discussion, so we'll have to come back yeah, yeah, to yeah. that one in the future. <laughs> Some, somebody asked me if I could program their running sessions based on power, and I was thinking, uh, yeah, mm, yeah, yeah, you stop I, laughing. yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to, uh, I'm gonna have to spend a month learning how to do that first. Yeah, and you know, some I know some a couple of people challenged me when I was when I said I was going to do this tonight. Why do you need to know? Well, well, sometimes you know, somebody's I'm a coach like you guys, and you you people respect you in your little communities, and they ask you for your opinion. So sometimes I think somebody's got to try these things out and then say, look, you know, this is what's likely to happen. Um, save your money, and like Mark said, in the forty minutes you've worked out how to put it on your arm and understand the data, you could have gone and done a run, and that would probably be more useful. And it, and what what you're saying there, Mark, I'd sent you both a little message on chat. It's noise, isn't it? It's noise that distracts people. Um, yeah. And I think super sapiens and and all of those uh, are, are great at marketing to a group of people they know are going to put their hand in their pocket and spend money if they think it'll help. Um, because yeah, nobody, because nobody wants nobody's selling consistency, are they? There's nobody set up a company to sort of crowdfund for consistency. But we all know that if you get that right, everything else will follow. We yeah. say that, sorry, but us three are. What? That's <laughs> we we sell consistency. We do, we do. Yes, you're right. We're right. But if we could just get, if we could just raise ten million dollars in funding to help us promote that, Steve, <laughs> we'd be all right, wouldn't we? <laughs> that's <laughs> we could be we could we could be coaching from the bahamas like we've always dreamed of <laughs> okay right listen it's christmas coming up this this podcast is released uh, a couple of days before christmas um i'm expecting santa to come to my house but you know we've talked about climate change we, we're all in the we're all in the business of helping people improve their performance what what do you think we could do to help santa improve his performance I mean, he's um, pretty good, well, isn't he? He covers a million. Was, he covers a lot of mileage on Christmas say, Eve. So, um, as far as I'm aware, he's he's undefeated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I was, I don't know about you. If I was going to make a start, I'd sort of upgrade those flipping reindeer. He's had them for a millennia. Yeah. Get him on the EPO. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe, who's maybe, gonna, um, maybe some, <laughs> maybe, maybe some carbon fiber antlers to lighten the load a bit. Maybe, I mean, maybe yeah. he could aero, maybe he could aerodynamicize his, uh, his sled. Um, I some carb- saying, I, I, yeah, he definitely got options there for some, um, for some aero kit. Some, if he got uh, some, some carbon, carbon fiber runners on the sled, it, it, there would be less resistance on the snow, which means that, um, Rudolph and the other reindeers will be able to get their thing airborne quicker. Which means that their blood sugar, uh, notwithstanding the constant um, rain, <laughs> rain, the reindeer constant glucose monitors, you wouldn't need those. Oh, hold on! Oh, yeah. I'm nicked your wine, sorry. <laughs> That's one of the elves. Yeah. Uh, get back no, to no, work. He wants Teflon runners. Teflon runners. That's what Tef- he wants. Oh no, I'm not sure. Do Teflon? I mean, what about if he had little wheels in there with, with um, ceramic bearings? Do you think they might work? Not on snow, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think I know you, 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 when you look at the reindeer though they are quite a well-trained unit you know they're yeah. like quite a well-drilled pursuit team aren't they because they're perfectly in line yeah yeah you never, get, you never see one of the reindeer get dropped from the one in front no that's because they're tied yeah. together Mark <laughs> yeah right? I thought it was just magic so they are they are perfectly you know in alignment in that aero position yeah. To be honest, what I would say, the reindeer at the back—they're quite lazy, aren't they? Because they never do a turn. But but if if Rudolph sits on the front, yeah, like the strong one, and, yeah. and does a massive turn. But I was—did you see that thing in? Um, was it at the Olympic Games this year where the Danish pursuit team came out and they had little they? plasters? They came out. Oh, they had little plasters down the front of the shins. Yes. To make it more aerodynamic, because if the surface of your skin is uneven, that's why they use that kind of um, striated material on the aero sleeves and aero calf guards. So right. they put that. So I'm just I'm I'm going to put it out there for the for marginal gains that the, the, think- the reindeer on the front who are you know because Santa is like um, Kit Jogi, isn't he? He's in the pockets. 
he's like Kipchoge behind yeah. the formation of reindeer. Mm. So I think the reindeer on the front should have little plasters down the shins. But, you know, on, on British cycling, when they had the pursuit team, Ed Clancy used to do like three quarters of a lap, didn't he? And then go off or one and a half laps. And then some of the others would do one lap, depending on their relative sort of power levels. Yeah. But but still, everybody takes their turn at the front. I'm wondering yeah. if those reindeers might be more efficient if Rudolph was given a rest every now and again. And they sort of, every time they've landed that, they, they sort of have a different formation to, to spread the workload. I mean, Rudolph is pulling a massive turn there, isn't he? All, every, all year. And then every year it's like, right, who wants to go at the front? Oh, I'll do it then. <laughs> He's got the nose. <laughs> That's right. Do you, think, do you think there's like always one knobhead reindeer right at the back that when he sees the cafe, he sprints past them all and gets there first? Gets to the carrots. I reckon you can get some... Um, get, get the... Get the a bobsled, some bobsled training. So when they're taking off every roof, mm. you know they have a they have a couple of the dwarves. Is it the elves? Yeah, elves. <laughs> I think I think you have to be careful with dwarves, Steve. You're not allowed <laughs> to use that phrase anymore. The elves, elves, elves. The, magical, the magical creatures. Yeah, those are the ones. Yeah. Should they push the sled off the roof? Yeah, you know, I think uh, some lycra. But some maybe if we, train, if we train those little elves so they got in the gym and did some sprint practice, they'd be able to push and run and jump on without getting left behind. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You do that yeah. for every roof in the world. Can yeah. I just say? Yes. Can, can I just say? Mm. Obviously, I'm still at work here. Mm-hmm. And I knew when you two said you were going to be at home drinking that this kind of bollocks was going to happen. <laughs> well... I'd already, but, but, but I don't know why you think you predicted it, Mark. I'd sent you an agenda for the call, and at the bottom it said, "The more we drink, the funnier it gets." <laughs> anyway, you've only got forty anyway. minutes to put up with us before you can go to the pub. <laughs> now, Moving what, on. What, well, hang on, no, I've, no. I've got notes. Here. I've got notes here, Mark. <laughs> go ahead, Steve. He can trim his beard, couldn't he? I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah, and also he's got that big belly. If and that's clearly going to affect his ability to get into the pocket as well as he could do, Mark. So I think if yeah. if Santa, uh, well, he could wear some he could wear some spanks to pull it all in a little bit. That would help in the short term. He wouldn't need, to, but I think perhaps he could go on a low carb, high fat diet because obviously we've had a discussion about that and how that works. He could go on a low, or maybe even keto. Because he's not really what doing do any think? work, is he? The reindeers need the carbs. Santa could go keto. Yeah. That would help him get rid of the gut a little quicker. And then that would enable him to lean further forward and get in a proper top position, which would make the sled more yeah. streamlined. And um, all of those little elves could tuck in behind him. And then the reindeers would be able to get more uh, watts per kilo. Absolutely. It's all about that. It's all about festive threshold power FTP, in it? So. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. That maybe that could be this year's Rafa challenge. Never mind riding 500 miles in 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 the festive season. See what your festive threshold power is. <laughs> right. Okay. I've got a tip for you. Uh, a, a question for you two now. What's the best and worst triathlon gifts you've ever received? Now, if you think that this is going to be listened to by somebody who might be offended, don't mention it because I don't want to field any nasty emails over over the Christmas period. Right. What, what's Steve? Steve, you. Oh. What was what was your best ever festive yes. triathlon present? Uh, well, if you look, if you consider what uh, has been the has lasted the longest, so I've got the most value from. I had a, I had a, um, a fleece hat in 1994, which wow. I still wear today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I'll mention the brand. It's Castelli. Yeah, it was dark grey and orange. It's now, don't know, <laughs> light grey. <laughs> Excellent. But yeah, so that's 20, uh, what's that, 27 years? 27 years, yeah. Yeah, good one. Yeah. What, what, about, what, what about you, Mark? What was the best best Christmas present you ever received? Well, I still, I have quite a few good Christmas presents, uh, kind of triathlon or cycling related. So this is a Rafa cycling kit. So about Rafa cycling kit, this. So I refuse to pay money for Rafa cycling kit because I think it's too expensive, right? Mm. Yeah. 
but I really like it. So I just will not buy it. But I know that every birthday and every, generally every Christmas and sometimes every birthday, I will get Rafa mm-hmm. from my wife. So I look forward to birthdays and Christmas because I know I'm going to get Rafa. But, <laughs> but it's, this is the irony of the situation that I won't buy it because I think it's too expensive and, you know, so I'm not going to buy it. But she doesn't care. She just buys it. And so I always look forward to Christmas and just opening that parcel and there's that bit of pink tissue paper and you think, oh, it's Rafa, it's Rafa. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I look forward to But if I've not got Rafa now this Christmas, I'll, I'll be proper fuming. Like, I'm really fuming. <laughs> Even if it's one of those little peaked winter hats, which I like, I've got about 48 of those. If I've not got Rafa at Christmas, like, you know, yeah, the sprouts at the fan. I've just got a text coming through from your wife, Mark. She says, Tell him not to worry about being disappointed. <laughs> well, so I think she's a keeper, Mrs. Laithwaite. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, let's hope she's not listening now, or let's hope she's already made the purchase. <laughs> I, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think what my best Christmas gift was, but I can tell you what my worst was. I don't know if you remember these. In the days when they started to go on to on-the-bike hydration, probably back in the – this was before – the year 2000, they invented this, they had this thing that was like a balloon. Oh, so, uh, and, yes. And it was in like a, it was in like a neoprene case and you fitted it yeah. underneath your saddle and it sort of followed the lines right. of your, of your seat post. And then there was a tube right. that came underneath your saddle all the way along your top tube. You clipped it in and then around and a bit like the straws you get off the, um, the, the, you know, the, the bottles now. Yeah. And and then you could bite on it and you'd get you'd get hydration at will. And it was a fantastic idea. Fantastic. I loved it. Until it exploded about 10 miles into my first <laughs> So exactly the same thing happened to me. Yeah. yeah. It was I think it was called bike stream, wasn't it? That's it. Bike- or jet bike stream or jet stream, something like that. And it, it was under pressure. Yes. Yeah, I went over a speed bump in Ironman Lands of Wesley, and it just exactly a liter of high pressure sugar east. Oh, the only yes. the only bonus to that was if somebody was drafting you, they got most of it. <laughs> but mine mine was in Ironbridge. I don't. You probably both did Ironbridge when you went from the bridge and you went down out of the village along that really fast bit. But there was a speed yeah. bump there, and it was on the speed yeah. bump. It just boom, and I, I didn't quite know what was happening. I just knew that I'd got wet, and I hadn't wet myself. <laughs> um, what? what uh, okay, so that that was my worst Christmas. I remember getting it from my mum and thinking, "Oh, this is fantastic!" I'd seen it in the magazines. I can't wait to try it. But it was a few months. I think Ironbridge is always in July or August, so it was a few yeah. months before I realised it was the worst Christmas present ever. <laughs> um, any any bad Christmas presents for you guys? Um, yeah, I had one of that. Do you remember the the very first GPS watches? I think mine was a Timex, and you had to put that silly little thing on your sleeve. Yeah, on your arm, like a big, like a box. Yeah, which yep. never ever worked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were about four hundred quid as well. Oh, well, it was a present. Um, but yeah, early adoption, but it never, it never worked. Mm. <laughs> what about you? I, what about you, Mark? Uh, first set of tri bars. Oh, uh, which which ones did you say, get? I would, guess it, I would say this is 1989. 1989 oh. it would be. Just right? after Greg Lamond then. Yeah. And Profile Tri-Bars had just come out and they were in the magazines. Uh, so the, the Triathlete magazine, the only magazine they used to have in the UK, you had to go and order the magazine at the newspaper at the mm-hmm. newspaper shops. Can you get this in for me? Yeah. And, ev- and then every month you'd go down and collect it. And these profile tri bars, and I showed me dad these profile tri bars. So the profile ones were like a, they they dropped down like track bars, but then they came round, so it was like a huge big triangle. Is that right? This, this was just clip ons. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Clip ons. Mate, so, you're being robbed. Hey, you're being robbed. No, someone in the background robbing. <laughs> so they just brought out profile clip on bars, and I'd showed me dad these profile clip on bars. 
So my dad decided he was going to make some. Because my dad was my dad was a blacksmith, and then he just went, right. So my dad's going to make some. No, no problem. Because so uh, I had me I, at the time. I remember I had my bike was a rally banana, one of those rally oh, yeah. banana bike. Yeah. So my dad, my dad's mate Bob lives on New Street, has a pipe bending machine. <laughs> this is getting better by the second, right? Because he sees Bob on New Street, bends this pipe. It's into a, into like an euro bar shape, right? Then he goes and puts attached into my bike with what I can only describe as industrial jubilee clips, and he tightened them so much that the chrome ollie handlebars were crushed. They were crushed like you were pinching, you know, like you were gripping a tube of toothpaste. They were dented inwards, and he put them on. And uh, I remember come and have a look at this. Someone what I've put on your bike here. Oh, so I went in. But there was no pads, so my elbows were resting on the metal industrial jubilee clips. Needless to say, those tri bars didn't last long. I think I went to Pendle Triathlon in April that year and uh, never used them, just rode round with them. I'm surprised my handlebars didn't snap. And uh, yeah, they, they came off pretty quick after that, and that was the last we saw of those. Excellent. I just imagine this sort of wrought iron contraption that weighs 20 pounds being bolted to the front end of your bike and it ran. <laughs> It was, uh, uh, yeah, it was a good start, but yeah, not good enough. <laughs> oh, classic, classic. Um, okay, look, money, no object. What would you get as a Christmas present for yourself? Money, no object. Some sort of triathlon kit or running kit or biking kit or whatever. Oh, it was triking for me. I mean, you'd always go for a new bike, wouldn't you? You'd always go for a new bike. Well, I, I, need, a, I need a new garage now, actually, because there's too many bikes in it. Yeah. I think I'd always go for a new bike. I'll tell you what I would I would get. And uh, at the, and we talked earlier about the cultural issues and stuff like that and the economic issues we're getting into triathlon. We could talk all day about when did bikes go from, like 15 years ago, three people were three grand for a racing bike. It's three grand. And now what, 10 grand is apparently yeah, no, now. No, no, you get, you, you're starting to become too serious now, Mark. This is a sort of like a fantasy thing. I was just a detour. I'm back on it. I'm back on it. But just making all of that for your economic problems and why people are not getting strapped. So I would buy, but do you know, this is a serious coaching thing as well, this. Well, I, I raced Ironman UK this year and the weather was horrific, really bad rain. The, the, the bike course in Ironman UK, it's a tough course, very hilly, bad road surface. And I reckon I'm pretty good bike handler, which so it suited me, but I think I would have been another five or 10 minutes faster if I had disc brakes and not rim brakes. And my mates have all upgraded to disc brakes on the road bikes. And we were riding in the lakes the other week and just watching them disappear because they've got the confidence to stop on the bends and handle the bike better. And so, I, and, and I know that from mountain biking, I'm much better disc brakes. So I would go for a new time trial bike with disc brakes. So on those hilly courses, I'd feel a bit more safer on the roads. I got, um, when I started this, I had this collaboration with Quintana Roo and they gave me, well, they didn't give me, I got a PR6 Aero Di2, but but it had disc brakes on it. And people kept saying to me, why do you need disc brakes on a time trial bike? I'm like, well, they've got through axles, so everything's stiffer. So when you stand up, there's a little bit more power going through the frame rather than getting lost. And just the braking, you know, particularly in the wet. Well, what about yeah. if you're doing something like Kona? There's not many corners there. Well, yeah, but what about if you're doing Ironman UK and there is a lot of corners? You know, that, that right. if you slow down a lot, you have to speed back up. That's not just that's not just requiring energy. That takes that saps your legs for the run, doesn't it? And I know people who've struggled with that Ironman UK. I, I mean, I've been right. I'm like Steve mentioned the phrase earlier, doctor. Uh, a few moments ago, I've been an early adopter on disc brakes on the road bikes and time trial bikes and. Uh, the only people I see bitching about disc brakes are people who've never had them because people who have them wouldn't go back to rim brakes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, when it's wet, you know what it's like it on carbon rims. They don't, they don't stop. They just glide. And they make a lot so of noise. You're braking 200 metres from the bends to knock 25% of your speed off yeah. well in advance because you can't stop them when it's wet. But on, well, also, on disc brakes. Well, also, you're not having to replace your rims every couple of years because they're worn out. Yeah, you don't, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got I've got a lovely pair of Reynolds on here, disc disc brakes on my on my road bike, and the rims are still in perfect condition. Yeah. So well, at, at Hellwell in triathlon this year, I was descending Kirkston, 
and going down Kirkston, the front rim, the braking surface collapsed. So basically, if you imagine the braking surface folded inwards mm-hmm. and I had zero stopping power and had to swerve round a car to overtake it on Kirkston um, as another car was coming towards me and I missed them by inches. So that again, like your rims, the rims, like of rims, I know it's a rarity, but they do fail. And mm-hmm. it did fail. Um, but I think people who are not great bank, bike handlers doing a course like Ironman UK, 20 minutes faster potentially for some of them on disc brakes. Right. So, so you're getting, you're, getting a, getting a, you're getting a time trial bike with full disc braking. What about you, Steve? Money, no object. What would you buy yourself? Well, money, no object. I'm having a house in Mallorca. <laughs> <laughs> and money, no object. Mark and I are live in private to come and meet you. There you go. And you know, if money is really no object, I'd like an Ironman entry fee paid for me. So you'd like all your Ironman entry an fees? An Ironman entry fee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, you mean that's a step up from the house in Mallorca? Exactly. You're a dream. That was a joke. I dream. I could dream. <laughs> well, this is this is the fantasy bit, isn't it? Is what would you what would you have if there was money, no object? But what about what about back in the real world? What would you have? Well, I would. I, I, I'm with I'm I'm with Mark, except I'm an Assos man in terms of the bike kit. So uh, you know, full Assos kit, I think. In the real world, or in, or in your fantasy world, the money in an object. To be honest, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I like Rafa. I like, I like Rafa, Matt, but here's, here's a tip for you, Mark. Go on Sports Pursuit because quite often you can get Rafa on there at about fifty percent off, and then that brings it down to the same price as DHB. Really? Yeah. Devastating. I mean, you might have to have it. You might have to have it in bright pink, but still, it's Rafa. Yeah. Now you get it trade, Mark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, Steve surprised me there with his Assos stuff. I thought he was going to go for like a lifetime subscription to his uh, blood sugar monitoring system. <laughs> Do you know if if the thing I would invest in is is a mattress? I, I've become much more interested. You got one. In, sorry, you got one. I have we, done. We can, I, I have, but I would I would buy a top of the range mattress. I just think that. If you can get the best sleep you can and be comfortable and not fidgeting around because you're uncomfortable in a position, that makes everything in your life better. You know, not just your training and your recovery, (laughs) but your moods, your ability to focus at work. Um, So I'm going slightly um, left field here and going um, money, no object. I'm getting the most expensive matches I can. And in the real world, I'm buying the best matches I can afford. I've got a, a, a bit of a story about mattresses. So we bought when I was when we were in Malaysia, we bought a real top of the range uh, king size mattress. Yeah, and it's really comfortable. It's got a it's basically it's got an internal frame, mm-hmm. uh, so you can't bend it, or you know it's it's just solid the frame. Um, so we, since we moved back, which is just over five years, we haven't been able to get it into any bedroom that we've had over here. What? Because you can't bend it around the corners. <laughs> you can't get it in anywhere. <laughs> so what? What? So we, where, where is it then? It's, it's, it's vertical in a storage unit. Yeah, it's in the garage. <laughs> yeah, getting mouldy. So you'll be able to sleep on it, but you'll get all those mouldy spores that'll be affecting your breathing, and you'll end up with some sort of breathing disorder. Oh, hold on, my little my little Christmas pixie's coming with more wine. Oh, hold on, Ooh. we've got another bottle now coming. <laughs> We're moving on to Malbec. It's um, all very nice. Yeah, I'll I'll send you a bottle. Do you like you like Malbec, don't you, Steve? Yeah, yeah. I'll send you a bottle of this. It's called Aquero. Okay, right. I know, Mark, you've got a hard cut off because you need to get back to work. Steve, you and I can carry on chatting afterwards. I've not really done much racing. I know you're still uh, pretty involved, Steve, uh, Mark. I don't know about you, Steve, but have, I presume you guys have still got a bucket list. If there was one race that you'd really, it, like for me, I'd come out of retirement to do a race. Mark, what's your number one bucket list race? Number one bucket list race. I've got a few races that I've not done. But what's, what's the t- what's the top of those? What's the one you'd what's the one you climb over broken glass to do? Can I give you three? Yeah, but then I still want the number one. But give me the three. It's it's I Christmas. Need do, I need to do Roth at some t- at some point. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I'm with you yeah. on that one. Yeah, St- St- Steve's done it twice for both of us. 
I think you've got to do Norseman at some point. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I've done that one. I wholeheartedly agree, Norseman. Yeah. And at some point, I need to accept a Kona slot. So I think most of the Ironman races I've done have qualified for Kona, but never accepted. And my plan was to go... The plan was actually to go next year and qualify at Wales, but then everything was postponed. So, so at Kona, but for different reasons. So at some point in the next couple of years, I'd like to go to Kona and take the kids for a holiday because I think that'd be a great experience for them. Well, I'll commit to this, Mark. When you do it, I'll buy you all dinner out, out at Huggo's. There you go. Hey. You'll <laughs> like Huggo's. You can feed the when eels the extra bits of chicken that you don't eat. When are you thinking of going, Mark? Say again? Are you thinking of trying to go? Um, maybe um, uh, 2020. What year are we now? 2021, I get confused. Yeah. Probably 20. I'd say 2023, maybe. Maybe. Okay. We'll do a damn to try and qualify that year. Yes. Well, yes. right. Here's, here's, oh, so here's something else, right? If you, if, you, if you guys get there, let's all get a big condo together. Podcast. <laughs> and, and we'll do our podcast from Kona, yeah. Sitting, sitting around yeah. the... Uh, Sitting around the dinner table with a bottle of wine. You know, the only right. downside of that, my kids, my wife and kids are coming, and you know you're talking about let's get a good mattress because you get a good night's sleep. <laughs> Not when the kids jump on you at five in the morning, you don't. Right. So, Steve, you and I will get a condo on our own. Mark can have a family condo down the road. <laughs> yeah. Bring Steve's mattress all the way on the plane. <laughs> Put it outside in the garden for me. Now we're back to money, no object. A private plane for Steve's mattress. <laughs> right. What about you, Steve? What what would what would you come out of retirement to do? Well, I've got a list of four, which are in that particular order. After I have a think, I've got to pick one. Escape from Alcatraz. Yes. The uh, Norseman again, and Alpduez. But yes. I would also love to go back to Penticton, and now that Ironman Canada's gone back there. Um, obviously, that's one we've done before. I've yep. done before. We've done before, Steve. Yeah, we've done before. If I had to pick one, probably Alpduez. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, uh, on top of my list, um, I, I, I've never done Roth. So, Mark, I'm with you on that one. Roth is just seems like one that I, I need to do. Um, yeah, I've not done Alpduez. I've done Penticton five times. Steve and I took a group of people. I love that. I would, I would, I was supposed to do it last year. We backed out, and in the end, it didn't happen. Um, I think I'd go back to Penticton because of the people we know there and the race, and it's just a, an amazing venue. Um, Patagona man, I've done Norseman, so Patagona man um, floats my boat because I've not been to Patagonia. I'd like to go down there and spend a bit of time and do the race and do it more as a tourist rather than a competitive. Um, competitive venture but yeah there's some great races on there hopefully that will motivate some people um i've got one last question for you well actually i've got two last questions for you i'm going to give you five minutes to think about this one because i didn't float this one before right steve i want you to tell me what christmas present you would buy for me (laughs) right triathlon wise mark i want you to tell me what you would buy for Steve, and I'm going to tell you what I would buy for you, Mark, right? So think about that one, and in the meantime, answer this question. Can I multitask? No, you can. You're going to be – you can choose to be one athlete, right? So you're going to be in the body of one athlete. It could be male or female doing a race from triathlon history. What athlete would you be, and what race would it be? Now, if you're struggling here, I'll tell you who I would be, and that might help you with your decision. All right? Go on, then. So, what if I was going to be the same person and you ruin it now? <laughs> we'll be sort of fine. I would like to be, and I, I would like to be any one of the 14 athletes that decided to throw their hat into the ring and take part in the first Ironman in Hawaii. On, on Oahu in 1978. I, I don't want to be Tom Warren or the, um, Rick, what's his name, or ever won. I'd just like to be one of them taking part in that whole thing. Good call. That is a good one. That is a really good one. Ooh, who would I like to be? I would... I mean, I think you've got to go for Alistair Brownlee at London, haven't you? Yeah. 
You really have to, you know. I remember I was watching something on TV the other day, and it was, it was some documentary. I think Super League Triathlon are doing some documentary, aren't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. With St. Louis. There was a little clip where he was stood down at the um, at Serpentine, where this one was in it. Mm-hmm. And he was stood on the edge, and he was just he was talking about it, because he'd gone back to do the Super League London, and he said he was stood there, and he said uh, he remembers it, and uh, they were, they'd been called down to the pontoon first, because you weren't called down in kind of race season order. And he said, and they... they they were all stood on the pontoon and then the brownies got called down and he said that the noise and he said the ground was shaking and he said everybody on the pontoon was looking at each other to say what the hell is going on yeah we're, we're all <laughs> he said the roar and the he said it's just like thunder and um and it's to the atmosphere was just but you know he, not being british he said the atmosphere was just unreal but i think to go into that olympics as you know, so much pressure and then to, to run in, you know, cycle and run in front of that crowd and take it on and winning 2012. God, that must have been, that must yeah. have been absolutely I epic. I I don't know if you heard, I did a podcast with Johnny the other day and it's the first time, you know, we've been, we've been talking about it for ages, but it's the first time I managed to pin him down. And so I went around to his house, we sat in his kitchen and chatted and I said, you know, what, what's been your favourite of all the races? He said, London. He said, going down, looking out the window of our hotel and seeing just like a sea of Yorkshire flags um, yeah. running around, he said, you couldn't hear, you know, you couldn't hear me and Alistair talking to each other. He couldn't hear what was going on. He said, the noise was just phenomenal. Just, he said, I'll never forget that. He said, and, and actually what I've realized now as I've got older, you know, almost 10 years later is I didn't appreciate that moment as much as I should have done at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, nice, nice one. That, that would have been one of mine. What about you, Steve? Yeah, I, 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 that would have been one of mine. I've got two, uh, back, back to Kona, to be honest, um, and, and both women, uh, which you said was a loud sigh. <laughs> yes, absolutely, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I've got, I mean, obviously, great. There's, there's been, you know, you've got the Iron War and everything, you could have picked one of them. But I've gone for I've gone for two. One is Chris's first win. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to turn up as... A complete. I mean, you know, if you remember it, the commentators didn't know who she was. Well, I, I can tell you, I was there at that moment, stood next to Mike yeah, Riley yeah. when she went past, <laughs> and Mike Riley completely ignored her and focused on um, Michaela Jones and Kate Major battling out while Chrissy ran up the road five minutes ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to, you know, to, to, to rock up there completely unknown and 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 to pull out that performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, I mean, I, I, I do remember being up all night watching that and, and just sort of, that, that was superb. Um, and the other one was was when Leander won at Kona. Not necessarily because of the performance at Kona, although obviously she won it so superb, but she kind of under the radar, if you think about it, she, it was the fourth world title that she, she's won. ITU draft legal, she's won. Uh, ITU long distance she's won 70.3 worlds and then she capped it off with winning Kona mm-hmm. um, which I think is pretty unique so in terms of a, a sort of uh, over a 10 or 12 year period and she got Commonwealth medal so I think you know over in terms of like rounding off a career in the best way possible I think that was um you know that that stands out for me as well. I'm I'm pretty certain that Leander went from Kona and won in Cozumel, didn't she, as world champion in that same year? She might well right? done, yeah. And I, 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 I mean, if I'm wrong, fine. But but I've I've got a feeling that she's one of only a, a handful of people. Mark Allen maybe um, did it with Avignon and Kona. Um, Karen, Karen Karen Smyers as well. But I think Leander was one of the only people that's won uh, WTS um, drafting and Ironman in the same year. No, no, no. She won the world. She won the world in two thousand two. Okay, won, right, fair enough. Draft, uh, the draft, uh, the the, the uh, ITU in, in two thousand. But I do remember that what was significant about that Kona thing was that coming out of the energy lab, she was ahead. But Marinda Carfrey, who was a way better runner than Leander on paper, was catching her hand over fist, and you could see on the screens that Leander was there and running steady but Marinda was like firstly she was a dot in the distance then she was growing and then she you could see she was a couple of hundred yards behind but at some point Miranda propped and Leander kept going and then the gap opened up and and that was it then you know she got four miles to go and yeah it was a job done so brilliant okay right last thing Mark what are you buying for Steve two things Oh, generous. 
couple of presents under the tree for you this year, Chris. Uh, Chris, Steve. Chris. Uh, it's That's what I got confused. Christmas. <laughs> See what you're doing there. Yeah, yeah, good. You've not even been drinking, Mark. So what's your excuse? <laughs> a couple of gifts for you, Steve. I get a tradesman come round. Widen the doorway to your bedroom. <laughs> and get that mattress in. <laughs> Thank you. And then there's a little special one wrapped up under the tree. I'm going to get you a nice Christmas jumper because that thing that you're wearing is atrocious. Yeah, it's a poor effort, Mark, but I would say it's marginally better than yours, which is no effort at all. <laughs> <laughs> right, Steve. Marginally what are you... better than no effort. At... <laughs> yeah, marginally no better than no effort at all, yeah. Steve, what are you buying for me? Well, I've got a big list here. I've got I'm gonna get you an entry to the Patagonia man. Oh nice. I'm gonna get you a lifetime subscription to a a glucose monitoring service. (laughs) That'll be good that in future podcasts that'll go down as the most useless present I've had. (laughs) (laughs) Um and what was the other one I was gonna get? Uh oh no, that was it, sorry. Oh, oh no! I thought I had three, and now I've only got two. Well, Sorry. Mark, you'll be pleased to know that I have decided to really upset you this Christmas. You've, you've, you're going to come down on Christmas morning. There's going to be a whole pile of presents for you there, starting yeah. off with some Rafa Pro socks, right, in a little package, Ooh. along with some riding mitt, riding mitts, but also some winter, yeah. um, winter waterproof Rafa waterproof top of the range gloves. I've got you a yeah. full pro kit with pink the pink one i mean i know you can have different colors but i've gone for the pink because i know you're a you know, sort of metrosexual man so proper full raffa kit I've, I've wrapped each piece individually so it looks like you've got about 20 presents and yeah i hope to hell that you remember that it was me that bought it and not your wife <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, actually feel free to give her a big hug and a kiss. Don't come round to my house with that. <laughs> that was my third present for you, Sai. <laughs> what a hug and a kiss from Mark's wife. <laughs> or from Mark. <laughs> okay, right. Look, Mark's got to go in a minute. So Steve, um, feel free to tell everybody about your coaching business and how they can get in touch with them. We'll put links at the bottom of the show. Uh, right, yes. I well, I, I coach a few sessions at the University of Birmingham, University of Birmingham, and I do have a small group of age group athletes. Uh, got space for two or three more, just working one to one, pretty much any standard, you know, probably probably not complete beginners, but but sort of novices improve up to up to sort of uh, counter qualifiers, what have you. Um, so yeah, I'll be interested if, if there is anybody who listens to these, they've probably got a good idea of what they're going to get. Um, so yeah, if anybody would like, uh, to sort of, you know, contact me to discuss it, then go to the show notes, as they say. Does, does it, your, where are you based, Steve, in case people want some like local swim or run, run coaching? Yeah, I'm based just outside Ludlow in South Shropshire. Okay. Yeah. And just for those people who are interested now, I've known Steve now for best part of, 20 well 25 plus years steve and i used to work on the talent id program for british triathlon steve was involved in the midlands region jack maitland and i were involved in the north so steve that you won't find many more triathlon coaches in the uk that have got experience uh, not just of coaching but also being involved in the sport as an athlete because steve has been to kona a couple of times steve qualified uh five five so there you go. Five times a Kona qualifier. So he can walk the walk and talk the talk. So, um, right. Okay, Mark, over to you. Your turn. Showcase. Well, where do I start? You've got two <laughs> minutes. Start anywhere you like, but you've got two minutes. Okay. Start with a stretch. Um, so, yeah, I'm based in a, I'm based in Wigan, uh, God's own country, you know, Lancashire. Uh, oh, hold on so, a minute. Uh, you know that place where all, that, all the Yorkshire people wish that they lived? And um, we have a shop called the Endurance Store, which is a running triathlon, small independent store, uh, Endurance Store. And we have um, a coaching business called the Endurance Coach, uh, where we will uh, basically coach anybody who uh, doesn't wear a blood glucose monitor. 
Uh, obviously, diabetics withstanding. And um, <laughs> yes, we have a coaching group here as well and sports science testing. We do some, some uh, what bike and treadmill testing and that kind of stuff. And we have weekly open water swimming in summer only. And I also have Epic Events, which is our events company where we organise triathlons and sporties and swims and all sorts of things around the Northwest, and including we also including Chill Swim. Check out chillswim.com. Swim the length of Windermere, Ullswater, Coniston. Yes, so involved in quite a lot of things. Uh, and of course, Tri Kids, which is our charity project where we go around all the primary schools around the Northwest delivering triathlon coaching for free. That's me, Doug. One minute, 34 seconds. Well done, Mark. Um, Okay, right, fellas, appreciate this. Uh, you guys show up to do podcasts with me two or three times a year, and I really appreciate you joining me. I hope the listeners do. I, we always get really good feedback about the podcast we do, so I'm truly appreciative of uh, of the fact that it's not just about me. You guys really make it. So have a happy Christmas, and listeners, um, happy Christmas to you all. Thanks for listening, and, and uh, as with Steve and Mark, I truly appreciate you being here every week to listen to the show. Enjoy the festive season. Cheers. Happy Christmas. <laughs> right, fellas, that's it. Finished now. So um, how are we going to do the party? Uh, not socially distanced, cheese and wine, like we did last year when we were all supposed to be socially distancing. What do you think? Uh, I, I definitely think go with the cheese and wine. Because yeah. uh, if you make it sound posh, then that's what they tend to do. So they think people are so stupid they won't understand. Yeah. So I, I, I cheese and wine's a good suggestion. What, yeah. What, yeah. Steve. Can we have, can we have pineapple and cheese on sticks? Oh, I'm not sure. Savory and sweet. Um, there are some people who are very funny about mixing pineapple with savory stuff. I mean, I like it, it on a pizza. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I wasn't there. I mean, I went home early. You know. I think you popped in, Mark. Mark, I think you did. But what I'd suggest is perhaps we call it a business meeting because we we've got the podcast. We need to meet up, yes. talk about promoting the podcast. So we could we could dress it up as a business meeting. And as long as we don't wear any masks and don't socially distance, nobody will think it's a party, will they? Sounds sounds like a winner. Absolutely. Okay. Shall we meet? There's yeah. a place in if London. Where, a there's a, there's a place in London, a party venue that you can go to in Downing Street where this sort of thing's allowed to take place under the umbrella of business meetings. So maybe we yeah. should meet up there. Sounds good. London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and sounds like if you travel to London you, on the train, we could go on the train. Um, we could put it up down as business expenses as well. Yeah, good, yeah. good plan. Good All plan. right. I'll tell you what, good job we're not recording this, innit? Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you that. We were. But don't, don't worry, it won't come out until December 2022. Ah, oh, all right. <laughs> just, just, just so it, just so it doesn't affect our poll ratings for the next year. <laughs> Thank you, as always, to Mark and Steve for joining me on the show. There are links to all of today's discussion topics. Not that there were many, but you can find them in the show notes below. As always, I really appreciate you listening to the High Performance Human Podcast. You can join the conversation today by subscribing for free on iTunes so you never miss an episode. And you can also join our High Performance Human Podcast Facebook page. Okay, that's all for this week. There will be one last episode for 2021 next week as I review some of the guests and topics from this year. For the next few days, please keep the High Performance Human principles in mind. But above all, have a proper good Christmas. Santa's coming to town. Santa's coming to town Santa Claus is coming to town